Spirit does. He is praying for you now. This is Ann Graham Lott. Broadcasting the timeless word of God in truth and in worship. 24 hours a day on The Way. 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Can Israel stop Iran's nuclear program? Why is Catholic Pope Francis trying to tear down religious walls? Is John Kerry faking it, or are we? And how is Grace Point Church pointing the way to apostasy? We'll answer those questions plus much more as we welcome you into our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. These are the signs of the times for Friday, February 26th. 2021. Along with Pastor Mark Kirk, our senior pastor at Calvary Knoxville, I'm Greg Hilton. We appreciate you carving out an hour out of your Friday afternoon to listen live, or maybe you're even watching us live right now, either on the Way Media app at thewaymedia.net, our Way Media Facebook page, or Calvary Knoxville's YouTube channel. We uh, thank you guys for tuning in and watching. Uh, or maybe you're listening later to this podcast, episode 158, through Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher. We thank you for joining us, our community of prophecy watchers. And we thank you so much for uh, your uh, continued uh, feedback and questions that you give us each and every week. You basically have no excuse in not finding us and listing. With all that list you just gave, I mean, pretty much anywhere you turn. I mean, I would say your crystal glasses, put water in at home, you're going to pick the signal up. We're putting out sound everywhere, so that's good. I actually had a uh, call yesterday from a longtime uh, listener uh, to the radio station, to WIAM, saying that he found the plans to the old Yagi antenna that he could make out of PVC pipe and wiring or whatever that was directional where he could tune our frequency in here in the Knoxville area yeah, well, to pick it up anyway. For those who are on your roof with an aluminum hat, you yes. can now go in the house. We've got so many avenues to get to us, but that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Well, let's get started with today's program. You've got mail. We've actually got uh, quite a few uh, listener emails, uh, questions, Pastor Mark, yeah. which we always appreciate. The first one is from Lauren. Lauren uh, listens or watches us there in Virginia. And she has a question about Wormwood. She says, I wanted to know if the asteroid that is supposed to come dangerously close to Earth, which NASA claims is potentially hazardous, on March 22nd of this year is the fallen star or Wormwood talked about in Revelation chapter 8. Yeah. And also, too, Pastor Mark, is that why you sent me that thing in, in the show notes earlier today? The, the the logo and the day is that because well, is that earth it, it is that, no that's april yeah i'm sorry april. that's not march no that's okay. because again I, I was just noticing the um the how in line the current uh, government is with the spirit of antichrist yes. and 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 really they scheduled it's kind of off off track we'll get back to the question okay. i'll be quick but this literally they've scheduled a summit a conference on earth day this year the president has with the world to look at the earth and it's interesting because the bible says that's exactly what we're not supposed to be doing and it's when we turn away from god we focus on the earth and the doing it on earth day while they're also going against everything that god talks about in his word so it really struck out to me because i went and looked at the article i saw the earth thing there it looked like our logo and look, like, yeah. stop but anyway i guess you can't miss the logo much i mean we're, it's blue and green that's kind of the earth so we're pretty much in the same camp but anyway great yes. question from lauren here yeah um and whether wormwood i guess to give everybody kind of a little bit of of idea of what she's talking about here it talks about in uh, chapter 8 of revelation the waters of the ocean being struck in the uh, third in the second trumpet in the last days in the third trumpet says the waters are struck let me read that then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven 
Again, many believe it's either a meteor or an asteroid, hence Lauren's question. So she's very observant there. Um, it falls from heaven, burning like a torch, which is what they look like as they enter the atmosphere. And it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water that is of the earth. And the name of the star was Wormwood, which is a poisoning agent. Okay, too much Wormwood can kill you. And a third of the waters became Wormwood and or poisoned. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So that's where um, Lauren's question comes from for our listeners out there. She's wondering, could this asteroid, as it says here, that's coming close to the earth, could that be... Um, uh, the star, the fallen star talked about in Revelation. The answer is no on that. Again, I do think you're very observant in noticing that it probably, it will be, I think, a meteor or an asteroid, Lauren, so you're correct on that. But we know it's not going to be this particular one because, first of all, it would need to strike the Earth, which this one, um, I feel certain, will not. And number two, it has to happen during the Great Tribulation. Remember, when you read about these judgments and wormwood and the waters being polluted, the ocean and the streams, that is happening uh, the last three and a half years before Jesus comes back in the second coming. And we know that Revelation and Daniel tells us the last seven years on earth will be a period that God has set aside to keep his promises to Israel and also to judge those who are rejecting Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So it'll be during that time, the first three and a half years, relative peace seemingly okay although the tribulation has begun technically but the real great tribulation will be that last three and a half years and it will be during that last three and a half years that this asteroid or meteor or whatever it is is going to fly into our atmosphere will strike one will strike the there actually be two lauren one will strike the oceans we saw that there in the third trumpet and the fourth trumpet one will strike the uh, the rivers and all the waters of the earth will be polluted with poison and wormwood and this kind of thing so uh, there's your answer on that great question but um, not the one we have to worry about right now. Okay. All right, Pastor Mark, our next question comes from Jen. And Jen listens to us in Florida. And her question is about weather modification. She says, can you cover a brief explanation on weather modification and what this means for the world according to the Bible? I've heard about HARP, and that's spelled H-A-A-R-P, which is said to be used to control weather by directing lasers into the clouds to produce rain or snow. She asks, wouldn't this be mocking God? Controlling weather for man's benefit, isn't that going against God? And doesn't God control the weather? Yeah. A great question again here, um, Jen. Let me first of all give you the definition of weather modification, also what HARP stands for, H-A-A-R-P. Weather weather modification, also known as weather control, is the act of intentionally manipulating or altering the weather. The most common form of weather modification is cloud seeding, which is pertaining to your question, which increases rain or snow, usually for the purpose of increasing the local water supply. Now, secondly, we have HARP, this program that is working on doing that. And uh, let me just read the definition here from NASA. It says the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, or HARP, is a scientific endeavor aimed to studying the properties and behavior of the ionosphere. The ionosphere stretches roughly 50 to 400 miles above the Earth's surface, right at the edge of space, along with the neutral upper atmosphere. The ionosphere forms the boundary between Earth's lower atmosphere, where we live and breathe, and the vacuum of space. So there's the definition. Operation and research facility was transferred from the United States Air Force to the University of Alaska Fairbanks in August 11th, or rather on August 11th, 2015, allowing HARP to continue with exploration of ionospheric phenomenology via a land use cooperative research and development agreement. So again, longer definitions, but I think for your sake and for our listeners, it's good to sum up what that is. The bottom line is, if you want to make it simple, it is, like you said, altering the weather. And let me give a yes and no answer to your question, because really both apply here. If, if someone knows, say a nation, if they recognize they are in rebellion to God, God is judging the nation, and God says, you know what, I'm going to send drought, and God is judging the nation, and they say, we know this is the judgment of God, we're in rebellion, we're disobeying the word, God is, like his word says, is drying us up, and we tried to go and make rain happen. Yes, that would technically be rebellion to God, uh, because we're trying to go against the will of God knowingly. 
However, God still wouldn't allow that to work because the clouds would dry up or he would just stop it because his judgment will be successful. So the only way it would truly be something that would be mocking or in rebellion to God, I believe, is if someone knew they were mocking and trying to rebel against God. But simply trying to make it rain in an area that needs more crops or that needs more water to survive, I, I don't see that as rebellion to God. I think that can be, there are innovations that can be used very wisely for man's benefit. Let me give you an example. Fertilizer. Uh, they, we make fertilizer. You put fertilizer on the ground and it helps the plants grow. That's not rebellion to God simply by having fertilizer. So, um, Again, there are ways it could be, but I think in general it can be something very helpful to mankind and society. Now, if we're trying to you know, play God and change the environment that God has created into what we want, that's another category. So understand, it could fall into rebellion to God, but I think it's more of a knowingly, I'm doing this, I know I'm going against what God's designed and what he wants, I'm trying to change how God created. That's one category. But if it's simply a matter of, you know what, uh, we're going through a dry time um, there's no indication it would be the judgment of God, so to speak. We really need to help our crops grow. We have people maybe that are lacking water in certain regions that we can get them more water. I, I don't see that biblically anywhere uh, that I can find would be some type of rebellion to God in that instance. So, again, I think yes in some instances and no in others. And I hope that answers your question. Great. Uh, Pastor Mark, uh, Lauren, and Jen sent us those questions via our website at thewaymedia.net, and they just clicked on Signs of the Times. But our next question, Pastor Mark, comes from Facebook, uh, which we also encourage our listeners. You can reach out to us that way uh, at the Way Media, uh, Way Media Facebook page. And uh, Jonathan, who listens to us in Jonesboro, Arkansas, uh, wants to know about the Equality Act. Yeah. He says it looks like the Equality Act is going to be passed and the country is seemingly uh, going insane at a breakneck speed. He asks, is this a judgment from God, and how should Christians respond? Yeah. Again, thank you again, Jonathan. Great question. Let me first of all say this. It hasn't passed yet. It has passed the House. As you know, the House, the way it works in, in in the United States is the House passes it, and then it goes to the Senate to pass, and the Senate has to pass it. And while the Senate is 50-50 right now in Democrat-Republican, and uh, Vice President uh, Harris does have the um, tie-winning vote, if it ties, uh, there are some, I think, strong possibilities that one or two of the Democrats uh, in the Senate would vote against it, only because they come from um, heavily... Um, conservative areas like West Virginia would be one, for example. So it, it's not a shoe in that it, this is going to pass. They tried this before it didn't pass. My hope is that it does not pass. And I'll explain why as we get into this. So first of all, it hasn't passed yet. So there's no reason to panic at the moment, although we need to be in prayer because um, it, it is a very serious situation if it does pass. Let me read from the Wall Street Journal what the Equality Act is. And before I even read this, you know, Greg and I were talking before the show what the opponents of those who have a political agenda and oftentimes i think maybe even the enemy that is in a spiritual sense because really the battle is in the heavenlies it's the powers and principalities we fight against they're very good at taking something very bad and giving it a good name and it's deceptive i'll give you an example the affordable care act it was the exact opposite it was so unaffordable that our entire fellowship i mean not our entire fellowship our entire church staff we all lost our insurance because it was so unaffordable we could no longer com uh, uh, supply insurance for our staff because of all the things that changed in the insurance industry. So although it was called the Affordable Care Act, it actually pushed a lot of us out of the door where we can no longer afford it on a normal basis, and we had to find alternatives. Well, the same thing is true with this. It's called the Equality Act, and it actually does anything but create equality. It actually puts women at a great disadvantage, and it actually puts believers and the church at a great disadvantage. So whenever you see something named, something that has a real pretty name, always look underneath that name and find out what it really teaches, what it really says, what it really stands for. The Equality Act would better be entitled the Inequality Act the suppression of women, and the suppression of the church. That would be a more accurate definition of it. So don't let uh, the politics of it trick you. Um, but this from the Wall Street Journal, February 23rd. I wanted you to hear what they said about what the actual definition is. Um, they start the article, all people are created equal, but Congress is considering a bill that would make some people more equal than others. H.R. 5, styled the Equality Act, would redefine sex under federal civil rights laws to include 
sexual orientation, and gender identity, overriding basic biology along with millennia of tradition. The bill would make it illegal to distinguish identity from biology and thereby prioritize transgender people over women. So there's one way it would be a a, a disadvantage to women. By erasing sex, not to mention the insult to God. This is obviously an insult to God, which we'll get to in just a moment. By erasing sex as a distinct legal category, the measure threatens to open up female-only spaces and opportunities designed to increase representation for girls to biological men, which can endanger the safety of women and girls. The Equality Act would threaten the existence of women's prisons, public school locker rooms, women's and girls' sports teams. It would limit freedom of speech, that is, um, in many areas. They would try to use it in churches as well. Freedom of association, accurate data collection, and scientific inquiry. It would threaten the rights of physicians who doubt the wisdom of performing life-changing, reproduction-limiting procedures, and parents who seek to protect their minor children from such treatment. So that's kind of the definition of, it's much larger than this, but that's a basic definition of, What's going to happen here, Jonathan? And, and the bottom line is, is that what this is doing is it's basically confusing the way God created ma- male and female, man and woman. And, um, you know, we have, listen to what God says, first of all. Um, God says in Genesis uh, chapter 1, and this is starting in verse 27, this is how God created. Uh, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female he created them, period. It stops. At that point, it goes on and says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, etc." God is the creator. The Bible is the authority. And the Bible says that God only created two genders, male and female. Greg, there are now over 100 classified genders. Now that, you, you think, and my mind, I go, how could you even get them? It gets so bizarre when you start looking at the list of, of genders today. Um, of what they say is there, but the reality is science is science. Creation is creation. You can't, you can deny it, but it, you're denying reality. The X and Y chromosomes, they, there's a certain formula that makes a male. There's a certain formula that makes a female. You're either a male or you're a female. Your chromosomes determine it. God determines it as you're created and you can't change it no matter how you want to, no matter how you feel, whether you're a man and feel like a woman or a woman and feel like a man, whether you want to have a surgery you are a male or you are a female. That is just a reality. So we talked earlier about how the um, seeding of the clouds in certain instances yeah. could be rebellion. Certain instances would not be rebellion. Um, this is clearly, Greg, rebellion to God. This is saying we don't care what you said, God. We don't care how you created it. We're going to come up with our own new categories of people who they are, and then we're going to pass laws to let them be who they want to be and connect. And it's, it really is, it's, it's a mockery of God, number one, and it's a denial of reality. And so, um, you know, how are we to respond to that? Getting back to the question. So that's what it is. That's what God says, how he's done it. How do we respond to it? Well, we basically respond to it the way we do anything that comes against the word of God. You know, the Bible says that we're to come under the governing authorities, Romans 13, um, up to a point, we obey those governing authorities up to the point of them asking us to go against the word of God. You remember Peter being taken, you know, the, they were going into the temple and they were going up there and to, uh, to worship the Lord and the, the man that was crippled, they healed him and he, and he goes in there and, and this kind of thing. And they say, you can't be healing people on the Sabbath. You've got to stop this. And he gave a, a great answer, which really applies to this question. And that is, we must obey God rather than man. So the way it works is we come under the governing authorities, the United States government, etc., even if they're ungodly, up to the point of them asking us to do something that goes against the word of God. This goes against the word of God. So, for example, if they were to come and say, all right, now churches have to hire people with whatever gender they say they are, and you've got to make them on staff and pastors or whatever, or you're breaking the law, we would have to um, respectfully break the law. We'd have to respectfully say, that's your law, but there's a higher law called the Word of God, and we have to come under that law. Whether you, th- as, John, as Peter said, whether it's right to obey God or man, you decide. We must obey God. So, as believers, what do you do? You stand with the Word. You show love and respect for those that are confused and hurting and maybe involved in that kind of world. And yet you say, this is what the Bible says, and this is where I stand, and then whatever consequence comes, that consequence comes. But we can't just go along with it. 
there's a real pressure, and I've had I've had people say that they're under pressure for this, Greg, to someone who decides they want to be a different gender, right? Mm-hmm. To call them that gender. For example, if a if a man decides to, he wants to be a woman, then they want to change their name to you know Linda or whatever, and then they want call you call me Miss whatever, and they said I do that because I I don't want to offend them. I, I want to let you know, look, we can't lie before god and man we can't pretend we may be persecuted but we have to say look i re- i respect you as a person i love you as a person jesus loves you he died for you but i can't call you something that the bible says you're not and so if you're pushed in a situation where they say i want you to call me whatever i would have to say to that i can't do that i i, I love you but you are a man or you are a woman and i can't pretend you're something you're not we're not kids on the playground anymore you know you be hulk and i'll be you know captain america it doesn't work that way anymore this is reality and so if we play along with that as believers we're actually doing damage to those person those persons greg that are deceived or willfully going this path because we're helping them along in their delusion so we need to lovingly bring them back to a place of saying i can't go along with that so we don't go along with it we don't attack them. We don't name call. We love them. We share the gospel with them. But we have to say, you know what? This is not right. There's male and female, and this is how God made it, and that's where we're going to stand. Maybe uh, with some of the time that we have left, Pastor Mark, maybe we can go to God's Word and uh, look at Jesus, because we're talking about uh, standing for something that's according to God's will and God's design yeah. and being persecuted for it. Uh Jesus came to fulfill God's plan of redemption, and he was persecuted for it. Yeah. But, but he came for a plan that benefits all of us right. if we're willing to do that. And he himself said that, you know, you will be persecuted for my namesake. Right. When we're standing up for these things, we're not standing up for them because it's our opinion. Uh, we get that we don't want to cause conflict and we rather avoid confrontation. But when it comes to the, the things of the word of God, maybe we can talk to it from a scriptural standpoint and, and Jesus as our example yeah. and how he led in that way. Because a lot of times we get myopic and look at the horizontal situation in front of us and forget about the vertical power yeah. we have in the Holy Spirit and, and the, and the precedent that's been set in scripture by Jesus himself. Yeah. Well, again, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, he set the precedent. I do those things to father, only those things the father asked me to do. And um, a lot of times I think, Greg, we're hindered because we don't want to offend someone. We don't want to whatever insult someone, this kind of thing, because they strongly believe it or they stand there. But I think we forget we're insulting God over them. We're choosing to say, you know what? I won't insult you, but I'll, instead I'll, I'll insult God. God calls these things an abomination. It's not because he doesn't love them that he calls it an abomination. He's saying, look. I'm God, I created this way, and, and you're insulting me to say anything otherwise. So when that happens, what happens is, is that we're saying, you know what, I would rather insult God. I would rather do something that is an abomination to God than to insult you. And basically, we're putting man over God. We can't do that. Remember, when you're going along with something that God says is different, you're putting the world or that person above God. I can't do that, even if that means persecution. And you saw that with the Lord. I mean, the Lord had these Pharisees and Sadducees and even the Roman government when they tried him saying, you know, um, you know, trying to get him to either renounce the, the Sadducees and Pharisees, getting him to renounce what he said or to this kind of thing. He said, look, I, I've said everything out in the open. It is what it is. Yes, I am the son of God. I can't deny that because that's the truth. And he suffered the consequences. Uh, when Herod asked him, are you a king? He said, yeah, I am a king, but not of this world. And he said, if my kingdom were of this world, my, my soldiers would fight. He goes, my kingdom is not yet. It will be, which scared Herod to death and, and Pilate to death, I mean, which makes sense. Um, and so we see the example, to get back to your question, the example we see of Jesus is he walked in the truth regardless of the consequences. And we have to remember, whenever we give in to the world around us to fit this narrative they're creating that goes directly against God's word and the way God designed Greg, we're basically choosing the world over God, and in our concern not to insult our neighbor, we're insulting our God. I encourage you, don't insult your God. Stand with your God. Love your neighbor. Now let's take this to a a practical level, because we remember in Scripture, Pastor Mark, that Jesus, Jesus was fully human, but yet fully God. Yeah. Unique, 
without a doubt. Yes. But yet, in spite of that fact, Jesus did something that, for just the short time that he lived an earthly life, did more of than maybe most of us do in our lifetime. Yeah. And that's seek the Father in prayer. Right. And, and he needed to do that in a demonstration for us because he needed a supernatural power to overcome the weakness of the the inherent flesh. Yeah. I mean, Jesus wasn't sinful. He never sinned. Right. He led a sinless life. But yet he was he but he was birthed into this fallen lineage of man right. and just the inherent weakness of the flesh. Jesus wasn't weak, probably in part, and maybe you can expound on that, because he sought the power of the Father. He sought yeah. the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. To help him do the things and fulfill the prophecies that yeah. were spoken of about him. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I always see that the Bible says that after he was baptized, he went into, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah. went into the wilderness, was tested, and started his ministry. He didn't start the ministry until after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. John said he saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove upon him. And I always think, you know what, if Jesus, the Son of God, and literally God in human form, if he needed the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon him to do what God called him to do, how much more do we need that? And, um, you know, again, yes, he was God, but he laid down the privileges of just having the Holy Spirit uh, but by becoming man, and he had to receive it the same way we do. And remember, there's three different works of the Holy Spirit we see in the New Testament and really in the Bible. That is, he is in us at salvation, okay, the word E-N in the Greek. He is with us, drawing us to the Lord, and even after we come to Christ, that's the word para, P-A-R-A, and he comes upon us, the word E-P-I, a P. And that is where every time you see the upon happening in the Bible, it is for power. It is not for salvation. It is not to be with us. It is for power. It's, I call it the three different workings of the Holy Spirit. We see that all through the Bible. Now, Jesus needed the Spirit to come upon him so that he could stand for righteousness and where he needed to stand. And I think what you're getting at is, is how could we need any less? We need the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And I would just say to our listeners out there and to Jonathan and all the others that would think about these type of things, what if we're pressured at work? What if we're pressured here at church or wherever it might be? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray, God, come upon me with your Holy Spirit. Don't only be in me, be upon me for power. Fill me that when these things happen, I might make a stand. Because I think if we don't prepare in advance, we're going to fail when the time comes. Peter failed because he wasn't prepared. He wasn't praying. He was sleeping. And many of us today are sleeping and not praying. We need to wake up spiritually. We need to pray. We need to be filled with God's Spirit. And that's how we're going to be able to stand in this crazy environment. Because, Greg, it's going to get worse and worse. And it's getting so bad that for us to stand on the truth and say, this is what the Bible says. This is how God made it. We're going to be seen as the oddballs, which we already are. We're going to be seen as the ones that are radical. We're going to be, but when we're loving, we're going to be seen as the ones hating because everything's getting reversed. But no one could love more than Jesus did. And he, stand, he stood on the word of God, unwavering, and even put him to death. So our job is stand on the word of God, unwavering. I mean, should it ever come to that, even unto death, because that's what we're called to do as believers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think about this past year with uh, the COVID-19 uh, situation and how we've watched even those in the church uh, have uh, uh, an unbelievable amount of fear. Yeah. Um, and these are fearful times, but that this is, and again, when I think about the pestilence and plagues and the things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, yeah. he said, these are just the beginning of sorrow. That's right. I think that's so really, where we are. Yeah, and the challenge for us as Christians at this point in time is that if if we're having a hard time managing the fear of right now right. and not seeking God's power and God's presence in our lives to give us that realistic balance of things, right. then what's going to happen when things get worse, what's the saying in the Bible? How can you run with the? How can you do something? Jeremiah, with the horseman. If you can't run, run with the footman. Yeah. What will you do with the chariots? When the chariots, and the horsemen, yeah, you know, chariots, the horsemen. Yeah. What do you do with the horsemen? Right. You, 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 it's going to get worse. We need. We God's, need God's power. We need God's Absolutely. power. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we're going to see if uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's warnings will come to pass. And we'll see if the Pope's warmings will come to pass as he tries to unite the world together. That plus other articles as Signs of the Times continues right here on WIAM.
WIAMLP. 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's Crazy Money Day. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with my Money Life from Crown. The Louvre in Paris, France, is the largest and most visited museum in the world. Originally a grand fortress, it became a royal palace before its conversion to an art museum in 1793. Several months ago, an auction was held to offset the millions of dollars lost during COVID. They raised $2.9 million. One bidder paid $98,000 to view Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa up close without the protection of its bulletproof glass. It was painted between 1503 and 1506 and could be worth more than $860 million. Leonardo is a brilliant artist, scientist, and inventor, but his works don't come close to God's. In Revelation 4, John describes 24 elders falling down, laying their crowns before the throne of God. In worship, they cry out to him, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Man's creations pale in comparison to God's, yet how easily we fall for other things. We must guard our hearts to prevent anyone or anything from taking his rightful place. Many find security in money, but there's a warning in Hebrews 13:5: Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Money and paintings will never satisfy hungry hearts. Only God can. So worship him. Is credit card debt causing you stress? Our friends at Christian Credit Counselors can create a debt management plan just for you. For more information, call the Crown Helpline, 800-722-1976. Or visit online at crown.org slash ccc. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. You remember in the old days, you used to be able to sign a contract with the shaking of the hand. Your word is good. You know, my bond is good as my word. And, and it's hard to find a person like that these days. It's hard to find, even among believers, people who just keep their word. Instead, we, and I say we, including myself, seem to find every reason and excuse that we didn't keep our word. Not even partially. You know, we did most, but not all. And I just think we need to come back to basics in our Christian life that we can be men and women that can be trusted. That your word is your word is your word and I know that you're going to keep it. For more biblical encouragement to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of Signs of the Times. Our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. This is episode 158. And I was just informed by our video producer, Caleb, that we've lost our video feed. Oh, man. Well, that's just what happens when you're trying something new in a new configuration and uh, so we will continue to work on that, and uh, that's just the growing pain, so uh, there will be no video uh, for this week, uh, but there will be an audio, and that will be posted in all the usual places, so at least you will be able to listen to the program. That's yeah. just kind of how things work. All right, but the news and prophecy still rolls on. Uh, This is from MSN.com. Benjamin Netanyahu, who is Israeli's prime minister, warns that Israel will stop the Iran nuclear program with or without a Joe Biden deal. Yeah, this is huge because, again, Greg, a lot of things are happening in the Middle East and and, a lot of things are happening in America. As you know, uh, we have a new president and he's not as uh, pro-Israel as our last president was. And because of that, um, you know, we have some issues here because Israel can't just let this happen. This is what it says. Again, uh, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed that Iran will not be allowed to develop nuclear weapons whether or not Tehran reaches a deal with President Joe Biden to revive the stalled joint comprehensive plan of action nuclear agreement. 
Speaking at a memorial service on Tuesday, Netanyahu is currently facing corruption charges and preparing for Israel's fourth general election in two years, said Israel was uninterested in Biden's proposed revival of the JCPOA, dismissing the government in Tehran as an extremist regime, the Jerusalem Post reported, and indeed they are. Israel has always been staunchly opposed to the deal, and Netanyahu was a major influence on former President Donald Trump's decision to withdraw from the accord in 2018. Netanyahu and other Israeli leaders believe that Tehran cannot be trusted to abide by any agreement. No kidding. And consider an American um, agreement with Iran a threat to Israel's strategic position. Israel officials have been pressuring Biden not to return to the deal, but the new administration has pressed ahead regardless. The Biden administration has said it will consult with its allies, including Israel, on its Iran strategy concerning JCPOA, but now Biden is expected to press the prime minister on human rights abuses of Palestinians in Israel and continued expansion of settlements on Palestinian land considered illegal under international law. There is so much here, Greg. Let me just begin by saying, first of all, it's very clear that President Biden is not is no friend to Israel. Um, he, he's not like trying to destroy them. He's not trying to undermine. He's simply going along. We were talking about this again before the show. President Biden is really in tune with the spirit of Antichrist. And there's a lot of things that indicate that because the spirit of Antichrist is an anti-Israel, anti-God spirit. And that's exactly what the president and this new administration um, is pushing for in 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 not only anti-israel but uh, again pro pro abortion and even uh, the person he recently appointed wanting um, you know all the way up till birth and even partial birth abortion they're trying to push through so they're very anti-god very anti-israel that is the spirit of antichrist so i'm not saying he's the antichrist please don't misunderstand me i don't think he understands at all what's going on with this this is a spiritual battle but again, the Bible says that we're to stand with Israel, and so whenever you see someone standing against Israel, the first thing to recognize is they're not in tune with the Spirit of God. With that said, what Benjamin Netanyahu was saying is, look, if America, if you don't stop this from happening, I have to. We have to. For you, it's signing a deal, making an agreement, trying to have nations get along. For us, this is life or death. That is, the bottom line is, we we might die from this if they get a nuclear weapon they want to take us out because they hate us uh that that much so be watching this especially a lot of ezekiel 38 and 39 because what's going to happen here with ezekiel uh in 38 and 39 we know russia and iran are going to come against israel and greg if netanyahu if israel decides to strike just on their own this is the kind of thing we're watching for that could really push the buttons of the Iranian regime to come and move against Israel and attack them. So this is a big deal to be watching here um, as far as a lot of things prophetically. But there's something else I've got to say about this article before we move on to show you how out of tune our current administration is with the word of God and the spirit of God. They're pushing, Greg, again, for this two-state solution. And let me say, I'm not just picking on President Biden. I, I will say the same thing about former President Bush. And any of the presidents that push for a two-state solution, that is an anti-God stance. If you go for a two-state solution, you're saying to God, God, your word is wrong. What you've designed is wrong. Why do I say that? Because God says the land belongs to him first and foremost, and he has given it to Abraham and his descendants specifically through Isaac, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what that means is the land cannot be divided righteously. The land belongs to Israel. It is God's. He gave it to the Jews. And if we try to divide that up or anyone else, we are going against God and what God's word and God's will is. So that, that to be said first. But lastly on this, also he says he's opposing the expansion of settlements on Palestinian land. There is no Palestinian land there. And there, the Bible says there shouldn't be. They have their own lands. God has given them lands in other places, these other peoples. But God has said this land is not Palestine. It is Israel. For them to put settlements on their own land is God's design. They're not putting it on anyone else's land. So it's not Palestinian land. And so this is rebellion to God is what it is. But keep your eye on it because it's not only rebellion to God from our government. It also could set up the attack of Iran and um, and, and Russia on Israel. Yeah. Uh the Bible is also very clear from a prophetic standpoint on who can touch the land and who can uh, 
have any kind of lasting effect for any kind of two-state solution or any kind of coexistence there. Right. And that is the Antichrist. Yeah. That, and, and, and even that's only going to be for a limited time, but he's the only one that God has authorized from a prophetic standpoint yeah. to be listened to and for whatever deal that he, that he ends up making that the Bible talks about. Yeah. That's the only one that's going to get away with it. Yeah, and it's not that God, you know, obviously, not God's not giving it to no, the Antichrist. No, but you know what I mean. Yes, exactly. It, so we know he's going to do that. Yeah. But you know, Greg, the scripture warns, it talks about in the last days, God talking about bringing judgment because they divided his, his land. land. Yeah. So listen, whenever it comes to dividing the land, we have to say, as believers, here's what the Bible tells us to do. I know that Israel's not saved. I know the Jews are not saved right now. They will be. A, a, a huge portion of them will be soon, the Bible says, in the last days. But we are commanded... To stand with Israel, regardless of their salvation, because God has a promise to complete to them, and God asks us to do that. And God also gives a promise that if we stand with him, he'll bless us. If we stand against him, he'll curse us. So as a Christian, and again, I know that we're not a Christian nation anymore, and I know our administration is not Christian, but the bottom line is, is even though they're standing against Israel, we as the church must stand with Israel. That's the responsibility of the believer, and... Um, and so, again, you, know, you see these things happening, and these are the kind of things that simply bring further judgment on our nation. Yeah. All right, let's get into some one-world religion here, Pastor Mark. Uh, this is from Reuters, and it says, uh, Catholic Pope Francis's visit to the Iraqi uh, ziggurat yes. to bring together several faiths and hopefully lure more visitors uh, to see getting into the tourism yeah. business here what's going on this is this? amazing greg for a number of reasons to see the pope specifically connected to an iraqi ziggurat let me back you up to the tower yeah, what of does babel. that mean oh let me back there you, you go. The, yes let me back you up to the tower of babel the tower of babel is what scholars call today a ziggurat Ah. And a ziggurat basically is an ancient structure that was built to worship other gods or to reach to the heavens Amazing. to worship gods. It is what the Tower of Babel was. It was a ziggurat. And guess what? It was located in what we call today modern day Iraq. That's where the Babylon, that's where the original Babylon was. It's in Iraq. And that's where the original ziggurat was that rebelled against God. Here's the story in a nutshell. Noah and his family get off the ark. Um, God says, now spread across the earth and multiply again, fill the earth. Mankind says, no, we're going to stay right here in the region of Ur of the Chaldees, which is where Abraham was from, the Iraqi region today. We're going to build this giant worship center to God and to the heavens. We're going to make our own God. We'll be God. We'll make our own gods up. We're not going to follow the God of the Bible and do what he says. And God says, oh, yeah. So God comes down, gives them different languages, and scatters them around the globe. So that is the, the history of Babylon. Now, why is this so interesting, Greg? Because we're not going through the book of Revelation here at Calvary Chapel. We'll be in chapter 17 this Sunday, specifically dealing with this issue. And that is this. The Bible says that there will be a revived Roman Empire. But within the revived Roman Empire, in Daniel's vision, a second Roman Empire in the last days, it will also be the culmination of Babylon revived, which Babylon was the ultimate original one world government god split them up rome tried to bring it back had a one world government god broke that down rome's going to bring that back for another world government which greg all links back to babylon as a matter of fact all of our religions that are man's false religions as compared to the true relationship to god all of them link back to babylon and where it gets even more interesting, we'll talk about on Sunday, is the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church, the hats they wear, the robes, the things they do, every single one of those goes back to the Babylonian religion of the Ur of the Chaldees in modern-day Iraq. It all is traceable. There's a great book uh, by, by Hislop that's called uh, The Two Babylons that is, does great research and footnotes and pictures and ancient history and documents. If, if our listeners want to run out and get that, I forget his first name. His last name is Hislop. And uh, The Two Babylons, if you look it up, you'll find it online. Great book. I read it a while back. I, I need to go through it again to remember all the details. But with that said, and we're about to read some of the article. It would appear in the last days that this Babylon is going to come back together. It doesn't appear. It tells us it will. Led by, it would appear from Scripture, the Roman Catholic Church, but not just the Roman Catholic Church. So I don't, don't feel offended if you're listening and you're Roman Catholic. It's going to include all denominations, it would appear, the world 
that is doing man's religion apart from a relationship to God will come back together. The main leader of it will be the Catholic Church, which would be the revived Roman Empire, the revived Babylonian spiritual empire, which God will judge during that time. And that's why, Greg, this is so interesting that the Pope, I believe led by the spirit of Antichrist, rearranging all this for the last days, literally has them going to a ziggurat, something that symbolizes the Tower of Babel in Babylon, to have the world religions pray together. This you couldn't you couldn't write you couldn't this is what a script. You can't make this up. Let yeah. me read some of this. This is a Pope Francis is due to hold an interreligious prayer service at the ancient Mesopotamian site of Ur where he visits Iraq next week. An event local archaeologists hope will draw renewed attention to the place revered as the birthplace of Abraham. Popular with Western visitors in the 70s and 80s, Ur is scarcely visited today. After decades of war and political instability shattered Iraq's international tourism industry, the coronavirus crisis now also keeps local tourists away. And according to the State Board of Antiquities and Heritage Director for Ur, Ali Karim Ghanim, uh, the complex next to the ziggurat dates back to 1900 B.C., 2,000 years almost before Christ. The interreligious prayer service will be attended by, note this, remember, Revived Babylon will be led, it appears, by the Roman Catholic Church, Greg, but it's going to be involving all other unsaved denominational religions. Now, when I say unsaved, I'm not saying there aren't believers in the Catholic Church. There aren't believers in the Methodist Church, in all these other. Name all the different ones. There are believers there. What I'm saying is it's going to be a conglomerate of all those that are in these movements but that don't know Christ but are religious as well as Muslims and Hindus and every other group. They're going to come together in this one world unified religion headed up by the Catholic Church, it would appear from the book of Revelation. But listen to what it says in this sentence. The interreligious prayer service will be attended by Christians, Muslims, Mandean Sabian, uh, Yazidi, and other religious minorities that are present in Iraq. Now, if it wasn't just those that were there, I'm sure you'd have representatives from every group going to do this amazingly wonderful thing in their eyes. The focus will be on harmony between religious groups in a service the Vatican has named, note this, prayer for the sons and daughters of Abraham. What he's playing off of is obviously the spiritual sons and daughters, because we're not talking about, well, again, the Arabs would be through um, uh, Ishmael, and so that would be sons and daughters of Abraham, but he's not really including the Jews because they're not going to really be here. Maybe some Jews mixed into that in some form and fashion, but this is interesting because the idea is, all the religions of the world coming together at the original region of Babylon and and the Tower of Babel, again, to have this big prayer service. I mean, again, we're looking at what the Bible says is going to happen. The revived Babylon, the revived Roman Empire, the unification of a world government, and God judging it all in 17 and 18 of Revelation, which we get into this Sunday. All right, well, let's uh, get some growing anti-Semitism on the books for this Friday. Uh, This is from Israel365news.com. According to a Palestinian Islamic scholar, if the Muslims want peace, they must get rid of the Jews. Yeah, this is Sounds simple enough. Again, the spirit of Antichrist, Greg. We saw it with uh, Hitler, and we're now seeing it again in the last days. As we know that God has promises, go to the Jews, therefore Satan hates God, therefore Satan hates the Jews, therefore the spirit of Antichrist. He says the world must be cleansed. Does that ring any bells? Cleanse? That's Hitler. This is Hitler Hitler talk. That's Hitler talk. It's really Satan talk, but through these men. The world must be cleansed of Jews before Muslims have true peace, said the Palestinian scholar Marawa Nassar in a recent interview. In remarks aired on Turkey's Channel 9 on February 10th, Nassar, uh, Secretary General of Jerusalem Committee of the International Union of Muslim Scholars, said that the Jews were the most dangerous enemies. All the other enemies of the Palestinian cause are the lackeys, of the Jews now, he said. Allah clarified this matter in the Quran, and I quote, You shall find the strongest in enmity toward the believers to be the Jews. They will continue to fight you until you turn your back from till they turn their back from your religion if they are able, he added. Many verses in the Quran spoke of the Jews' corruption, he said, adding, If we are Muslims, we really want to live in peace and security, we must get rid of this enemy. Isn't it interesting? God talks about world peace coming, Greg, true peace that God gives once God deals with the enemies of God, but the enemies of God talking about world peace when they get rid of God and his followers. Again, night and dark. 
Muslims will experience a golden age, he said, after the Jews are killed in the time of Jesus. <laughs> Again, Muslims believe that Jesus is coming back and they think that he's going to help everybody kill the Jews. What a surprise these guys are going to have. Um, according to the Hadith, it says, Earth will bring forth its blessings. The sky will send down rain in abundance. People will live in peace. Even if someone wants to put his hand in the mouth of a snake, it would not harm him. And wolves will graze with sheep. Notice how close Satan gets to the scriptures. There will be an amazing atmosphere of abundance and prosperity. No one will need charity because the world will have been cleansed of the Jews. In other words, here's the bottom line again. The Jews are the problems of everything. If you have a flat tire, it's a Jew's fault. If your engine's not running right, it's a Jew's fault. If you're not feeling well today, blame the Jews. Everything is blamed on the Jews, and you have to go, why, why, why? Here's why. It's demonic, it's satanic, and it's driven uh, through people that don't know Christ, especially the religionists that don't know Christ, to fight against God. It's exactly what we should expect in the last days. And again, I don't rejoice in seeing it, but we understand it. And it's prophetic. There you go. All right, speaking of more prophecies coming true... Uh, pestilence, plagues, disasters, and corruption. Heavy on the corruption right here yes. from CBS News. Former Secretary of State, now a, I don't know, what is he, a special envoy for the climate. It's fantastic. Yes. John Kerry says that the Earth has nine years to avert the worst consequences of a climate crisis, quote-unquote, there is no faking it on this one. Although they've been faking it the whole time. Greg, this is so amazing. Wow. Some of these articles, when I get to the point of this, again, the wild winter weather, it says this week, has been called historic and unprecedented. And John Kerry, U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, who flies his private jet all over the world saving the climate and putting out carbon footprints, <laughs> wants to stop it from becoming typical. Obviously, we want to prevent this from becoming a new normal to the degree that we can, Kerry told CBS News. Many people wrongly believe that climate change only relates to temperatures increasing and not decreasing. Here's the problem they're having. Now we have these super cold temperatures. They have to say, well, that's still global warming. It's, doing, <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I know. It's amazing. Uh, I quote, I think it's very appropriate the way to, uh, appropriate way to think of it. So it's directly related to the warming, even though your instinct is to say, wait a minute, this is a new ice age. But it's not, Kerry said. <laughs> It is coming from the global warming, and it threatens all the normal weather patterns. The planet is warming in large part because of greenhouse gas emissions that are pumped into the sky from power plants, cars, planes, and industry. It even comes from the way we raise and grow our food. America is the second largest emitter behind China of, of greenhouse gases that are warming the planet. That warming is believed to make storms stronger, droughts drier, and oceans higher. That means certain places on Earth where people currently live will become unlivable, he says. Kerry said we only have a few years left to avoid a climate catastrophe. I find this really amusing, Greg, not in an amusing way that, that, is, that, I'm, that you're happy it's going to happen, but this is unavoidable because of the coming Great Tribulation. The earth is going to be destroyed, but it's not going to be man. It's going to be God. He goes on, well, the scientists told us three years ago we had 12 years to avert the worst consequences of climate crisis. Uh, we now have three years gone, so we have nine years left. We'll get back to this. Yeah, yeah. That's where the Paris Accord, a climate treaty dedicated to lowering greenhouse gas emissions in more than 180 countries around the world, comes in. It was named after the City of Light, where it was agreed to back, um, agreed to rather, back in 2015. But the pledges made then by nearly every country on Earth to cut their planet warming emissions will no longer cut it. Even if we did everything that we said we were going to do when we signed the Paris Accord, he's saying, look, even if we do all these ridiculous things, the Paris Accord... It's still not going to work. No, he says the temperature is going to increase 3.7 degrees, blah, blah, blah. Okay. The Biden administration has now joined and rejoined the Paris Agreement, and it's expected to announce a much more ambitious emissions target by Earth Day in April. Then later this year, all the countries that signed the Paris Accords will meet again and formalize their new targets. The overall goal is net zero emissions by 2015. First of all, it's interesting, Greg, to know this. By 20 what? 2050. I'm sorry. Oh, 2050. 2050. Yeah, you're okay. right. Thank you for correcting me. Okay. Um, um, notice they're linking the Paris Agreement, Earth Day, which is the worship of the Earth rather than God. And even as we mentioned earlier, President Biden has put together a, a climate summit for the nations on Earth Day this year, April 22nd. You're seeing exactly what the Bible says in Romans 1, man worshiping nature rather than worshiping God, the creator. And this is what the Bible says will happen in the last days. And God will judge the gods of man the environment, the oceans, all these things, when he pours out the wrath of God during the Great Tribulation. And again, as we said, it won't be man that's destroying the earth. It will be God himself destroying the climate in judgment of man's rebellion to God. Now, I have to point this out, Greg. 
I want to be careful how I say this, okay? And let me just say this very, let me say it cautiously. Mark is not saying days and hours. I'm not predicting anything. I'm simply saying that if indeed our calendar is right, Jesus began his ministry in 30 A.D. That's when he began. Now, some believe it was 29 A.D., Sir Robert Anderson, and it was three and a half years. So in the 32 A.D. was the uh, Passover, which may be accurate. Some believe maybe it was 33 A.D. Here, it, we're, you're within a year or two, okay? We know that now, history, from 2,000 years. It's interesting to me that they have chosen 2030, nine years from now, he said in this article, which is 2030. They've chosen that as that's when the earth will be destroyed if we don't do something. Now, sometime right around there, we can expect the Antichrist to show up either three years before that or three years. I mean, it's in that range. We're, I believe we're so close. We don't know the day or the hour, but Greg, the Lord said you will know the season. Yeah. And if Jesus did start his ministry at 30 AD and Satan is trying to be the anti or the instead of Christ, wouldn't it be interesting if he started his at the same time 2,000 years later either 2930 or whatever AD and he has his whatever for three and a half years as if he's his ministry if you will and then when his ministry's done end quote his evil ministry God begins to judge everything I mean this this is so close and I'm just going to say you can see the spirit of Antichrist working behind the scenes I believe even in the worldly scientists and their deadlines of destruction they're setting that line up with the culmination of the planet it's rather eerie and it's it's kind of cool at the same time and again although we don't know the day or the hour we should know the season and Greg I think this is a further indicator that Satan knows the season and he is even indicating by his spirit through those he's working toward this culmination where he will declare himself God and pretend to be the Messiah of the world uh, maybe coming on the scene around the same time that the first Messiah came. I mean, he's imitating everything to a T. I find it very intriguing. Let me end by saying, not setting dates, but I am finding this very, very interesting. Okay, Pastor Mark, our last article, I think, of the day that we're going to have time for uh, comes from theblaze.com, where a progressive church is saying that the Bible isn't the Word of God. It's inerrant or infallible. Wow. I don't know how to even approach this, but to say, look, our out, our out is this. They're a progressive church. A self-proclaimed progressive church based in Nashville, Tennessee, posted a Facebook message earlier this month saying the Bible isn't the word of God in or infallible. Let me just say, this is a false teacher. This man here is a false teacher. Grace Point Church is a false church. Josh Scott is a false um, uh, teacher. He doesn't know God. He's being used of the enemy. Stay away from this guy. The statement from Grace Point Church also said, as progressive Christians, we're open to the tensions and inconsistencies in the Bible. There aren't any tensions or inconsistencies in the Bible. I'm just answering this article. Sorry. We know that it can't live up to the impossible modern standards. We strive to more clearly articulate what Scripture is and isn't. Here's what Scripture is. It is the Word of God. It is inerrant. There are no flaws. There are no mistakes. It will be eternal, and you will be judged if you don't repent, Pastor Scott. I, I shouldn't even say Pastor Scott. I'm sorry. I'm calling him out because he's doing it. Normally, I wouldn't. You don't. You, you keep you don't call names out. He's come out and saying this. He needs a public rebuke. Uh, the Christian Post interviewed uh, Pastor Josh Scott about the church's progressive positions and said it was good to have begun this conversation. I think we definitely have a tendency to treat the Bible almost as an idol. You mean like maybe it's God's word, but not as an idol? I would agree with that, but that's false representation. He grew up a Southern Baptist, and in so doing, he said, we fail, I think, to see the real call, which is never to read something, but always uh, for us to read it, wrestle with it, then embody the rest of it the way we live our lives in the world. In other words, don't read it and take what it says. Read it and decide the way you think it best fits. No, we read it for what it says, and that's what it means. He added that if there's any sort of conversations that are off limits in the Christian tradition, it probably just means we're afraid of them. We're afraid to engage because we're afraid we'll be labeled heretics. No, you are a heretic, and so you're labeling yourself. Um, again, he says this is stuff. There is, listen, this, there's stuff in the Bible that goes really against the character of God. That is nonsense. What? Now, again, he tries to use, here's how he tries oh to my. justify it, Greg. Yes. He, he tries to say, 
you know, when, when, for example, when, when Job expresses some of his heart and it's not really, mm-hmm. you know, he says, God doesn't love me, basically. Well, right. we know God does love him. So yeah. he's trying to say, see, that proves that some of the Bible's not accurate. That's mm-hmm. not at all. Here's how the Bible's written. Listeners, hear me. The Bible's written in such a way that God says the truth, but he allows the emotions of people to come out for who they are and by his spirit shows the truth. Yeah. Believe God's word. It is inerrant. Do not believe these false teachers in the last days bringing doctrines of demons like this man, Josh Scott, in Nashville, Tennessee. This article that we discussed, along with another one on the Southern Baptist Church that we did not have time to get to today, will be available on our app at thewaymedia.net, as well as the Way Media app on Google or Apple on your smartphone. Guys, have a great week in the Lord, and we'll see you back here next Friday at 1.30 for more Signs of the Times. wants you to be brave. He can make you strong. There's a certain confidence that's his gift to you. You can be brave because he's in control. You can be strong because he exchanges your weakness for his strength. You can be confident because he has a good plan with your name on it. There's a reason God tells you not to fear. There's no need when you remember you can rely on him to make you brave. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way.